Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Today we are talking about the last trump. The last trump of God. The Apostle Paul tells us that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the dead will be raised and we shall be changed. We've heard that before, haven't we? Shouldn't we then ask, what is the last trump? If at the last trump, these pretty remarkable things are going to happen, shouldn't we as Christians ask, what is the last trump? Of course we should, right? Last night on social media, I said that this is a study. I shared the graphic, and I encourage you guys, whenever you see Life Story Church post the sermon video or tile or uh, anything, share that stuff because that's how people find out that we're here, okay? We're a grassroots church, no big advertising budgets, okay? So free advertisement's great, okay? Share that stuff. Last night I posted and I said this. I said, this is a study that every believer should be familiar with. It really is. Sadly, though, many believers, especially in the American church today, are not familiar with this. I can say that uh, with personal experience because, you know, I, I was in the church since I was a kid, and I didn't really have a proper concept of what the last trump is until about 10 years ago, and I'm 43, right? So that's a good amount of time to be unfamiliar as a believer in Christ. Sadly, Many hear this phrase, Yom Teruah, the last trump. You see it's on our graphic, Yom Teruah, right? Or they hear the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Teruah, and they think, you know, why should I really care about that? I mean, it sounds Jewish, right? There is a big part of the church today, still today, that thinks there is a... that. The Old Testament really doesn't have anything to do with them. You know, the Jews don't believe in the New Testament, and now, you know... Christianity was really, really co-opted by the Greeks, and that's why we see a white Jesus on a cross in almost every church. I grew up in a Lutheran church, and the Jesus on the painting couldn't have been more Anglo-Saxon pale, right? Guys, Jesus was a Jew. His skin was brown, right? He was. Yet, there's a large percentage of the church today that thinks, well, you know, the, the Jews have their celebrations, you know, obviously they have their Day of Atonement. If you pay attention at all, you, you hear that the Jews are celebrating their feasts, their Passover, at least you've heard about that, right? But most Christians think that that has nothing to do with us, why would I care? Sounds Jewish, right? Well, let me start with Matthew chapter 16, verse 1 through 4, in regards to answering that question. Matthew chapter 16, verse 1 through 4. We're going to move through a lot of scripture today, so you note takers, you're going to love this because you're going to probably be writing down a lot of different scripture references to go check later, if not right on the spot, because you're not taking my word for any of this, right? Don't take my word for it just because I'm up here with the microphone in the spotlight, Right? Don't ever take anything for granted. Be a Berean and study your own word. I always hope when I bring this stuff to you guys that it'll be a launching point for you. Because I've got like 45, 50 minutes if I'm lucky here, right? 
But I'm trying to communicate to you hours of study that you just can't have a full understanding of unless you do those hours of study on top of what I'm trying to communicate. So Matthew chapter 16, hopefully you found it. I'm going to read the New King James Version. The Pharisees, the leaders, come to Jesus and they're demanding a miraculous sign. If you are who you seem to be, why don't you do some miracles for us, right? Well, let's read verse 1 through 4. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red, verse 3. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. The word signs there, if I can see this next graphic, is this word in the Greek, semion. It means a sign, a mark, a token. But if we read a little bit further into the lexicon's definition, We'll see it says a sign, progeny, portend, an unusual occurrence. It's unusual. Transcending the common course of nature, this sign is. Of miracles and wonders by which God authenticates the men sent by him or by which men prove that the cause they are pleading is God's. A sign. It's not something random, church. And Jesus says, you don't know the signs of the times. You can tell me what the weather is going to be, but you don't know the signs of the times. Well, that word times in the Greek, can we see this next one, is this word keros. Right off the gate, we see a measure of time. Okay, simple, but let's keep reading. A fixed and definite time. The time, and pay attention to this, the time when things are brought to crisis. The decisive epoch waited for. I love that. Opportune or seasonable time. The right time. A limited period of time. The decisive epoch waited for. You know how to look at the weather, but you don't know. When I'm doing something outside of the normal, natural way of things, that signifies the epoch waited for. In other words, you're asking me for a miracle to prove myself to you when you're blind to the very miracle that is staring you in the face. Literally, Jesus is staring them in the face. Events that transcend the common course of nature portend to remarkable events soon to take place by which God will prove himself to be who he says he is, they are happening right now. Whew. The time when things are brought to crisis. The decisive epoch waited for, waited for is happening right now. This is your opportunity. This, everyone right here in this room or watching this on, online right now, this is your opportunity. This is the right time. This is your time. Are you just asking Jesus to turn a stick into a snake or something, right? Give me one more sign. Give me something to let me know you are who you say you are. 
Jesus was literally right there. He was fulfilling the prophecy of Daniel to the day. And they're asking him for some cheap miracle that Janice and Jambres could do, the, the Pharaoh's magicians, right? Are you serious? Can you imagine Jesus' disposition at that? I think that this passage is relevant to us today, truly, because how many of us miss the forest for the trees, as they say, right? How many of us uh, live our lives, and Eric and I, I've, I've used this uh, example before, Eric and I always talk about this, like, how many of us live with our hand right in front of our face, right? I mean, just do it. One, let's do it. Put your hand right in front of your face. Now, try to look through your fingers. You kind of see what's going on, don't you? But you're really missing a big part of the picture, right? Ron, I can't even see you right now. <laughs> but I get the general idea of what's happening, but you miss a lot. How many of us miss a lot, a lot of what God is doing around you? Hmm? Here's an application point for you today. Can we see this next graphic? Do you see what God is doing or only what he isn't? Ask yourself that truly. You live your life wanting God to do certain things, hoping he'll do certain things, but he's not doing those things. And all you do is you live your life with the perspective of focusing on the things that he isn't doing. Or are you actively looking and asking for the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, what are you doing right now, God? Because I want to get in the middle of it, and I want to appreciate it. Amen? Amen? Do you realize the time that you are living in right now? Seriously. A lot of people are looking at the newspaper and watching the media and whatnot, and there's a lot of stuff happening that sure looks scary, right? I venture to say, because we're seeing all of this scary stuff happening, we should be excited. I believe that we're living in the period of, the, of time that the Bible spoke about more than any other period in history. The time of the end. Just before Jesus comes back for his church. Now, I read Revelation, and I, I know what's going to happen in the seven-year tribulation. That's some scary stuff, right? But I don't think we're going to be here for that. So, from my perspective, this is exciting. We are living still in the age of grace. Do you know that? The age of grace, where somebody can achieve adoption to God himself not by works and labor, not by being a good person, but by just believing, just faith. It's free. You can become an heir of the kingdom of God right now for free. That's an exciting time to be alive, people. Amen? Mm. Man is saved by faith, not by the works of his own hand. This is the epoch waited for, the time period that the Bible speaks more about than anything, any other time. The prophesied third kingdom of Israel is here. Do you know how many generations longed for Jesus to come rapture them? How many early church fathers longed to be living in the time that you are living in right now? 
Because before 1948, Jesus couldn't come back. There, are too many, there were too many prophecies of the third kingdom of Israel that had to happen first. Well, it's here now. It's been here for a minute. Just about 73 years, right? Just about 73 years. That's not a coincidence, you know. So let's look at verse 4. Matthew 16, verse 4. What did Jesus say to them? He said, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed them. Something much bigger than what they were looking for is the point. Something much bigger than what they were looking for was happening among the Pharisees and the people that day. And something much bigger than you is happening here today. Can you discern the signs of the times? Can you discern the signs of the times? When there's a cloud in the sky, you can tell. You can tell me that it's going to rain, right? I mean, this morning, right? No kidding. But are you oblivious to the fact that miraculous events are happening and or soon, very soon to happen? Time itself is near its end, I believe. Jesus is coming back for his bride soon, church. Matthew 16, verse 5 through 11. Let's keep reading. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, verse 6, be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves, the disciples did. And they thought, is it because we didn't bring any bread? Verse 8, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Verse 9, do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Verse 11, how is it you, you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? I love, I just, I'll never get tired of it because the disciples are so us, right? Do you still worry about bread when the Son of God walks among you and gives it freely? My goodness. Did we make that point well enough this morning to start? Take your eyes off of yourselves for a moment, okay? Look and see what the Lord God is doing. Not what he isn't doing, but what he is doing all around you right now, this day, at the last trump, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. What is this last trump? Well, there's, another, there's a number of reasons that trumpets were sounded in the Bible. Uh, when the law was given, a trumpet sounded, right? Uh, when the when the jubilee year was to be announced, the trumpet was sounded. Pentecost, there was a trumpet sounded. It was the last trumpet sounding, uh, ceremonial trumpet to be sounded of the year. There is, however, 
only one day that is overwhelmingly associated with trumpets in the Bible. Does anybody want to guess what it is? One day that seems to have an incredible relevance, uh, an incredible uh, relevant tie to the context of what Paul was saying at the last trump, the dead, and ri- the dead will rise and we shall be ch- uh, changed. Can I see this uh, next graphic of the feasts? These are feasts of the Lord. You'll see on this table that I have over here a menorah, a shofar, which is a trump, a trumpet in ancient Israel. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets or Yom Truah, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. The first four feasts were, were fulfilled prophetically when Jesus came the first time. The last three feasts, many scholars agree, have not yet been fulfilled. The next one on the list is the Feast of Trumpets. Can I see this next graphic? Here is a list of uh, idioms, Jewish idioms for the day of the Feast of Trumpets. And, but what I mean by idioms is this, right? Say, say for example, I'll say to you, um, hey, do you guys want to um, hang out and shoot some fireworks off on uh, Independence Day? You would know I was talking about what day? Right, there's an idiom for the 4th of July. Same thing, they have their feast, but there are other names idioms for their feasts. And culturally, here's a list of them. The number one idiom for the uh, Feast of Trumpets or Yom Teruah is the day of the awakening blast. Wake up. The awakening blast. Or the time of Jacob's trouble. Or Yom Hadin, the day of judgment, the opening of the books, the opening of the gates. Ha-Kiddushin, Nasun, the wedding of the Messiah. Hamalek, the coronation of the Messiah. Yom Hakaseh, or the hidden day, or the day that no man knows the day or the hour. You see this next graphic? Yom Teruah. Teruah is this, an acclamation of joy or a battle cry, especially Clangor of trumpets, blow an alarm. Blow an alarm, rejoicing. Sound the trumpet in Zion, Zion, right? Sound the alarm, is that a song? It's an old one. The day of the awakening blast, Romans 13, verse 11. Can we take a look at that? Romans verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 11 reads, And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, Paul says. For our, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Awake. Oh, church, there are things that you should know about this day and what it could mean for all of us one day. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 17. Let's read that. Verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a what? With the voice of the archangel and with the what? Trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. With the what? With the shouts. With the voice and with the trump. 
Mm-mm-mm. Can we see this next uh, picture? That phrase, caught up, if you've never seen this before. It's this word. It is this word in the Greek. It is harpasso. It means forcibly snatched up. You will be forcibly snatched up. In the Latin, it is the word rapturo, which is where we get our word rapture. So next time you're in a conversation with a believer and you know, you're debating over some things and you might hear them say, well, the rapture is not even in the Bible. Aha, it is in the Bible. It's in the Vulgate. It's in the Latin. That's where we get the word, rapturo. <laughs> of the Feast of Trumpets, on the Feast of Trumpets, excuse me, the, tr- the shofar, the ram's horn, the trump of God is blown 100 different times. There are three sounds that are made with the shofar, and can I see this graphic, the next graphic? Tekiah is one straight blast. The shevarim are three shorter blasts. And the teruah, yam teruah, is nine quick blasts in short succession. This series is blown 11 different times. 11 times nine math majors, anybody? 99? And the final blast of that succession, blown on the Feast of Trumpets, they call it the last trump. At, and Paul says, at the last trump, so shall we ever be with the Lord. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verse 52. Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when? At the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed transfigured. The flesh that eternally at this point contains sin, it will be transfigured as Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Transfigured back into what Adam and Eve were before the fall. Created to live forever, by the way. According to Jewish tradition, Yom Teruah is a reminder of divine mercy. And isn't our God merciful? Oh my It's the beginning of the new civil year. At the first sighting of the crescent moon, the first sighting of the crescent moon as the the light first reflected from the moon as soon as it would appear. Now, keep this in mind. It's a dark day because there's no moon in the sky. And they're waiting for the moon to appear. And as soon as they see just a sliver of the moon, they begin the new year. They're waiting on the moon. The calendar is set by the sun, the, star, the sun and the moon in the sky. The moment that first sliver of the moon appears, it seems to twinkle. So that very moment, traditionally, the Jews would call that, that moment the twinkling of an eye. And Paul says, in that moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, as soon as that happened, two torchbearers from the temple would run east and west. They'd light torches, and they would run to the mountains, and they would light torches on each mountain so people far and wide across the land would know that the festival has begun. Pretty cool, huh? These torches appeared as people were running with them, they appeared as lightning from a distance, and thus they were commonly referred to in the Hebrew tradition as lightning seen from east to west. You might know where I'm going with this. Let's read Matthew 24, verse 26 through 27. 
Therefore, if they say to you, Jesus telling the disciples, look, he is in the desert. Do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. Verse 27, for as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. See, all of these idioms, they just pile up and they pile up. But if we didn't understand Jewish culture, then how much of this is just lost on us, right? Much like in, say, 2,000 years, if the United States is long gone and they dig up some old documents and relics and read some of the way we speak to each other, they probably think we're the stupidest people on earth, right? But they wouldn't, certainly wouldn't know a lot of what we're talking about, especially if we're speaking in idioms and whatnot, using slang, ebonics or whatever, you know. Every year... On this day, on this day, the Jews would read the story of the binding of Isaac. They would blow the ram's horn to remind God of his mercy. For 10 days, the Jews would examine themselves and make their hearts ready for judgment, ready to meet him. And on that 10th day, it is Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, The resurrection of the dead, they believed, would happen on Rosh Hashanah or Yom Teruah. According to the Talmud in Rosh Hashanah, page 166, they said the, the dead would be raised on some future Feast of Trumpets. On the eve of the Feast of Trumpets, the, uh, the Jewish people, they, would, they, they believed that there were three books opened in heaven. The book of life, where every true believer, son of God, their name is written, their salvation is secure eternally. The book of the dead for the truly wicked who would never come to repentance. And thirdly, an intermediary book. Those people whose names were written in the intermediary book, they believed they would then have 10 days or the time from the Feast of Trumpets to the Day of Atonement to change their heart and give their lives to God. So they could still go one way or the other. By the Day of Atonement, the intermediary book is closed, and you're in one camp or the other. Hmm. They also believed that Yom Teruah was Adam's birthday. On the sixth day, reminiscent of God's plan, right? If Adam was created on the sixth day, if there are six days for the plan of man, six, a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day, as Peter said, significance there, perhaps. His birthday, thusly being on Yom Teruah, again, just another layer. So you know, when we study prophecy and we bring all these things together, and it just seems like there's just a, com just a combination of a million different little things where if you're saying, well, what about this? I mean, Jesus might be coming back because this one thing if it were just the one thing, you'd be like, no, oh, that's interesting. But, you know, who knows? But if you, as you continue to layer thing after thing after thing, well, there's, well now they're wanting, um, you know, um, they want you to have a mark to buy, sell, or trade now, right? Oh, they want one world government. Oh, they want one world religion attached to that. Oh, they want, it, it just keeps piling on. You're like, well, yeah, we, we might be close, I guess. <laughs> right? Mm -mm -mm. Should we expect Jesus to return on the Feast of Trumpets? 
Or did he fulfill this prophecy by being born on this day, as some conjecture? I don't know. Will he fulfill this prophecy one day when he returns to earth after the rapture, because it's all just about the Jewish people? I don't know, maybe. I don't know. Is this something that the church should know about at the very least? Absolutely. 100% yes. The Feast of Trumpets is celebrated for two days on Tishri uh, 1 and Tishri 2 because they would celebrate this feast for two days because they didn't know which day they would sight the moon because they're truly waiting to start the year on the sighting of the moon. So they celebrated it for two days. So they would thusly say, this is the feast where no one knows the day or the hour of it because we're waiting for these two days for it to appear. So interesting. Can I, do we have this next picture? Can I, do we have the hillside picture? This is pretty interesting. The people at home can probably see it better, but this is a, a, a diagram of the hill, they would, how they would run from east to west, lighting the torches on each hill. Mm-mm-mm. They did this because so many of the Jewish people in the latter days were scattered. The diaspora, the Babylonian captivity, all of that, right? They were scattered around the region. So that's why they would do this. So it truly was the feast that no one knew the day or the hour. Thusly, they called it the hidden day. Can I see that list of idioms again quickly? Look at this uh, last one. ha Kedushin, Nesuin. I guess it's not the last one. The wedding of the Messiah. They literally called this feast day the wedding of the Messiah. Well, why is this relevant to us, huh? Well, I think if you saw Ron's sermon a few weeks ago, you'll definitely know that. But let me just briefly cover it for you. Those who would still argue against this possibility, they typically do that the Feast of Trumpets could be, or the rapture could be on a day that we could know about. People that typically uh, argue against that, they do so based on one verse in particular, a verse that is written within the same verse context as the lightning idiom, Matthew 24, verse 36. Can we look at that? Famous, right? When's Jesus going to come back? Probably 90% of the Christians in America will tell you, tell you this when you ask them that question. They'll say, no one knows. No one knows the day or the hour, right? Verse 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Some Bible translations uh, really royally mess this up and say not even Jesus. That's not in, that's not in the Greek. Okay, Jesus is God. He knows. Okay, He's equal part of the Trinity. So he knew. So of that day, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven or messengers from heaven, my father only. There is more to this verse than we get at face value. We've all heard that the word of God is a love letter, right? We've heard, hopefully you've heard that said. It is definitely a love letter. It is. This verse is idiomatic of the Hebrew wedding ceremony. So I was so excited for Ron, uh, who's more more knowledgeable on that uh, subject and his teaching of it than anybody I've ever seen do a presentation on it. I was so excited to have him do that before Yom Teruah. This verse is idiomatic of the Hebrew uh, wedding ceremony. So let me explain that briefly. 
if you didn't see Ron's teaching. Basically, what happens is a, you know, a young girl and a young guy, they want to get married, right? They decide they want to get married. What happens is uh, once they've announced that, the parents, they'll work out agreements. They'll work out how it's going to work and everything. We'll get into that in a second. Ultimately, the uh, young man and his father go to the bride's house. They make the proposal. She has the choice to accept it or not. If she says yes, he goes back to his father's house to build onto that house, add a room onto that house for them to live in. Okay? When is that ready, that room ready for them to live in? Well, I can tell you that if my kids were building an addition onto my house, I would tell them when they were done. I'm thinking maybe they might want to cut some corners to hurry the process along. I'd want to make sure they're not cutting any corners, right? So only the father knows is an idiom. The father approves that the bridal chamber is complete and releases the groom to fetch the bride. Now, Rabbi Yonah Weinrib wrote a, a, a work called The Wedding Treasury, and he wrote this. Again, it's not as uh, complete as Ron's work, but he wrote this about the betrothal process. Okay, Can we see that graphic on the betrothal? The parents would previously discuss what was going to happen, what the agreement was. The uh, groom would go with his father, and when they went to the, the, uh, the bride-to-be's house, they'd bring three things specifically. A money price. It was a gift. It was not a sale. This was to be a gift she was, because she was worthy of it, first of all. Deserved it if he loved her enough. Secondly, they would bring a contract. This is the wedding contract. It's got promises written in it. He had promises that he would shelter and care for her, keep her safe, that he would love her. And guess what? In this wedding contract, this is the coolest thing. There was no requirement of the bride to reciprocate. Now, that might not work in our marriages, right? But... Uh, but it's idiomatic of God's marriage and proposal to you, you see. So cool. So he would love her to the point that she couldn't help but to love him back. Love her to the point that he would lay down his life and she felt that from him. And then he would have the wine glass, usually a traditional cup from the family's home, probably uh, something that was an heirloom, family cup, family heirloom, and he'd offer her the glass of wine, and her drinking the glass of wine was a yes. Thusly, as we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says to his father, take this cup from me, because he had been rejected by the Jewish people. But then they would go home and prepare. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23. He talks about us as the bride-to-be of Christ, that we were bought with a price. That's speaking of the contract. Acts chapter 20, again, uh, care talks of uh, the, what we, how we must care for the flock that Jesus has purchased with his blood. This is all Jewish wedding terminology, contract stuff. From there they would go, to build the wedding chamber. John chapter 14, verse 1 through 4. Can we see that? 
Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Verse two, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. This is all marriage terminology. He's going to prepare a place. And then he'll come back with a shout, with the teruah. Just as the wedding party, when it was finally time to go get the bride... A lot of times they'd show up in the middle of the night, clangoring, blowing horns, celebrating. There are also two witnesses in the Hebrew marriage, Jewish marriage, reminiscent of Revelation chapter 11, two witnesses. There is the friend of the groom and a bridesmaid, friends of the bride. We still model this today. This is where we get it, by the way. There was just a wedding here yesterday, right? Best man, best gal, right? That's where we get it. It goes all the way back. In Matthew chapter 17 and Mark chapter 9, we notice on the Mount of Transfiguration, after six days, Jesus took the disciples up, right? What did Peter say? A day is a thousand years. A thousand years is a day. After six days, there's that model again, just like we saw with Adam on the sixth day. What happened, there were two witnesses there on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Elijah and Moses. The father said, this is my son. The father blessed Jesus in front of the two witnesses. Interesting, huh? Um, uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 23 through 25. We find Jesus at the Last Supper, right? He's at the Last Seder. He holds up the cup of redemption and he says, this is the cup of my new covenant with you. Jesus said he would not drink again the cup of the new covenant until he was in his father's house. But guess what? He didn't drink, but the disciples did drink, accepting the proposal. It's all type and shadow. It's all very beautiful, isn't it? So when we take communion, and I think Ron did a great job of explaining this in his lesson as well, when we're taking communion and we're drinking, we're accepting the proposal. Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, the wedding of the Messiah. Oh, interestingly enough, and I actually learned this from Ron, when the groom returns, the wedding party returns, The bride is stolen away and taken to the father's house, right? Or raptured away, right? It's called, they fly the bride, they would call it. Put her in a chair and carry her, and they fly the bride as they steal her away. And they go into the hoopah tent. They go into for this hoopah tent ceremony. In that ceremony, in the wedding ceremony, she walks around the bridegroom seven times seven times, uh, to bind the contract, to bind the kiddushin. The bride stands at the right hand, the place of blessing, the seat of authority of the groom. And the wedding, the wedding ring was back then, and now it's on our left hand and our 
ring finger, right? Back then, it was on the right hand, the hand of authority, and it was on the index finger. Evidence of the consummation, thus, of the, the marriage was necessary. What would happen is the bride and the groom would go back into the wedding chamber, and the, the best man would stand outside. And whenever the wedding was, the marriage was consummated, there would be blood on the sheets. Hard for us to think about this now, but the groom would then hand the sheet out to the best man, and he'd hold up the bloody sheets and say, there is a marriage today in Israel. Proof of consummation, right? Uh, the only problem with that is if she was not a virgin. If she was not a virgin and there was no blood, there would be shame. She would be ostracized, right? But if the groom loved her enough, he would cut himself and put his own blood under the sheet. If he loved her enough, he would cut himself and honor the promise of the contract to protect her, which is parallel to a successful marriage today, right? But that is what Jesus did for us, church, because we are an unchaste bride. Amen? They remained in the tent for seven days. How long is the tribulation? Seven? A day is the year? Okay, just checking. There is a tradition here, church, a type and shadow that goes all the way back to the beginning. You can even find it in Genesis in chapter 29 uh, when Jacob fulfilled Leah's week. Remember, he wanted Rachel, right? He didn't get Rachel, did he? He got Leah. Her dad said, if you'll just fulfill her week, then you can you know, have Rachel. What's her week that he was fulfilling? The whole seven-day ceremony of the wedding. Fulfill her week, he said, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. So that's the marriage ceremony, church. That's the marriage ceremony. The reception is back at the bride's house. This is why if we are raptured potentially on some future Yom Teruah, we are gone at the groom's house, right? We're gone for seven days, seven years, and then come back potentially on the Day of Atonement afterwards, back at the bride's house which would be earth, right? And this is why we stay. There is a thousand-year millennial reign, and he tabernacles with us on the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days. And on the eighth day is the conclusion of the event, and that is when he delivers the new Jerusalem. So you understand how you've got to understand this, the Hebrew culture, and the language, the word of God just truly comes alive when you understand Jesus was Jewish. These people were Jewish. Forget the Greek Jesus on the cross in Rome, right? And then, you know what he does? On that eighth day, he gives her the new Jerusalem when it's all said and done on the eighth day. No one knows the hour but the Father. 
when you hear that, it kind of takes on a new meaning, doesn't it? Kind of takes on a new meaning when you understand the culture. So, Luke chapter 19, verse 41 through 42. Let's read. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially, this, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. There are things that God is doing all around us that he wants us to see. Are we looking for them? Are we too caught up in seeing what God isn't doing to see what he is doing? Because he's doing a lot right now. There is a lot happening right now in this world, in the, the timing of everything, church. Can I, can I go back to, uh, back to that list one more time? That list of idioms. Can we go back to that, Bennett? It's probably a little ways back up the slide. I just want you to look at this one more time. The day of the awakening blast, the time of Jacob's trouble. Are you kidding me? An idiom for the Feast of Trumpets? What is the time of Jacob's trouble? Anybody? Seven-year tribulation period of revelation. Yam Hadin. What ha well, let me first. Does anybody know what happens in the tribulation? couple witnesses show up. Peace is declared. Peace and safety first. But then what happens halfway through? One world order, one world religion, uh, Mark to be identified as one who worships the beast, all of it. Feels like that's getting close. The time of Jacob's trouble, the opening of the books, the wedding of the Messiah, the coronation of our king on the hidden day the day that no man knows the day or the hour. Can we close on our application point, Bennett, one more time? Do you see what God is doing among you today or only what he isn't? Because I'm going to tell you, the whole Jewish world celebrated the Feast of Trumpets last month. You might be wondering if you're aware of that, why we're talking about it today. It's because they're on the wrong calendar. They quit looking at the moon to set their calendar in the fourth century. I think it was 380, 383 or 353, something like that. A.D., they decided to just set a calendar because that would be easier for business. And they pulled their God out of their calendar. And ever since then, their ca the calendar is just all over the place. The calendar is supposed to be set by the moon. And guess what? We talked about this last week in the days of Noah. In the times of Noah were established what? Seasons. And the seasons were communicated by what? By the equinoxes and the solstices. Right? So, last month, when they celebrated the Feast of Trumpets in Israel, it was still summer. The, the fall equinox had not even happened yet. So, after, you have to wait to be on God's calendar. You have to wait till after the fall equinox, which is a full moon, and then after that, the very next new moon, which is no moon, they should really call it, 
will be your Feast of Trumpets. And that just happens to be October 7th or 8th this week. So, Maranatha. Does anybody feel like a rapture on Thursday? Amen. So I kind of felt like, I better get that in. (laughs) I had planned on starting Romans, but I thought, you know, I better get that one in, just in case. All right. With every eye closed, every head bowed, we're finishing right on time, and we will break for our gather at the table. If you're here today, and maybe a lot of this is new to you, and don't feel bad, it would be new to probably 80% of the church today. Just thank God that he is, he is showing you things still. There is more that he has for you, more that he wants you to know. He, does, he doesn't want his people, his children, to be unaware of what he's doing. He wants you to know, actually, because he's glorified when you know. Should I not tell Abraham, who is my friend, what I'm going to do? That's the heart of your Lord. Are you somebody that is looking for and is seeing what God is doing, or are you only seeing what he isn't? If you need to surrender some things and lay them down at the foot of his throne this morning, because things are getting real, the hour of history that we are living in, the early church fathers longed, longed, oh, that they could be alive in the day and time that you are alive in right now. Maybe you haven't acknowledged that or were unaware, but whatever it is, this is, this is for you. Maybe there's some people that you need to talk to about Jesus that you've been putting off. I'm telling you, if this is the epoch waited for, once those books are closed, those books are closed. If you need to offer the Lord anything right now, just now is the time. Raise your hand. You can put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bennett, if we could have some, some music, we're going to pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that you never fail, Lord, to open our eyes and blow our mind and show us, Lord, what was right in front of us the whole time, yet we were so unaware, Lord. We ask right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would again reveal to us, Lord, the things that are hidden from the world, the things, Lord, that the, the unbelieving world doesn't see and would never see because they don't want to see, Lord Jesus. We're asking you to show us these things. Show us all things, Lord Jesus. We ask for a revelation as we study your word, Lord. Reveal to us who you are. Reveal to us your plans that you would be glorified, Lord, as we see them come to pass, Lord Jesus. Lord, give us courage, Father, to navigate the times that we are living in, Lord Jesus. That we would not be of the tribe that shrinks back, that presses forward into awkward and difficult conversations, Lord. Give us the opportunity and give us the words, Father, to convey your love and the beauty of what you have done for us and done for all those that would just simply surrender their hearts to you. 
that would simply say, Lord, I believe you're God. I accept your free gift. Give us the opportunity and the words and the courage, Father, to still build your kingdom as there is still time. Up until the last minute, Lord, give us the... uh, Give us the drive to stay in the field, to bring in your harvest, Lord Jesus. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you have counted us worthy. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, now if you've never given your heart to Jesus, if you've never surrendered, I want you to say this prayer with me right now. We're gonna say it as a church family. Let's say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. Come into my heart and make me new. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the grave on the third day. And because you live, I will live eternally. I believe you have gone to prepare a place for me. And I believe you're coming back for me. Lord Jesus, in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you, pour out his grace and favor upon you. May you prosper in all you do, and may you eat till you're full today. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you, guys.